Amen, amen. Uh, what an unbelievable time to worship the Lord uh, this morning, to pray uh, for those out there sharing and laboring the gospel, our, our co-laborers. We, we too are laboring the, the, the vineyard, the field that God has given us is here in Greensburg, KY, but uh, I pray that we will too be faithful and um, Man, an exciting time just to be sharing the gospel. Today I'm excited. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. So uh, if you have uh, grown weary in Acts, uh, be revived. After two years, we have finally climbed that mountain. And uh, we are looking toward new mountains to climb. And so uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, sharing uh, this beautiful truth of God's work for us. God's work in us, and God's work through us. So again, God's work for us, God's work in us, and God's work through us. To to get the setting right this morning, um, I want to encourage you maybe to take a little bit of American history um, lesson or or perspective with me. And and imagine this, that about 400 years ago, the period of 1607, um, Jamestown here in America, right, was the first permanent English settlement, all right, and the the colony of Virginia is founded, so 1607, right, over a little bit over 400 years ago. In the period of 1619, almost exactly 400 years, slavery was introduced to the colony of Virginia. In 1620, the Mayflower Compact, this governing uh, uh, document that the Plymouth founders had, had agreed upon, um, it is put into place there in 1620. And can you imagine that from this period of time, 400 years ago, right, if we had this, these great moments, right, we would might ask, well, okay, so if they had the colony of Virginia, was there any other colonies or settlements that took place? Can you imagine that maybe we might be asking the question, well, if slavery began there in 1619, did it continue throughout the colonies and, and for how long? And maybe we're still asking that question to some extent today. When will slavery, when will the racism in our country end? What about this, this Mayflower governing document that was signed there in 1620? So is that like still in effect or like what happened? Did the other colonies, the other settlers, those that came in, did they agree upon that or what happened? And you and I have 400 years of history since this day and time to look to. But can you imagine that the people of Israel will end around the period of, of somewhere in the ballpark of 400 A.D. Malachi? This last prophet will be on the scene. He's bringing the good news. All the prophets have been declaring that God's kingdom is coming. Then 400 years of this. Silence. And the people are wondering, like, and just as you and I, if we looked at these documents, we would be wondering, God, what are you doing? God, are you, in fact, going to do anything? God, are you about anything? God, where are you? 400 years? And so we begin. Luke chapter 1. The, the Gospels open up. The New Testament opens up. And it says that all these promises, just for the core sharing, all these promises, these prophecies of this coming Messiah, of all the things that were going to happen, you open up the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and all of a sudden you start to hear there is in fact the fulfillment of God, that God is indeed faithful. So let's look at the first one. God's work for us. It's in Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 67. And it says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And that should make us ask some, some questions, right? Like if I begin there, right? Well, well who is his father, right? His, his father's name is Zechariah, but who is the his that he's talking about, right? What's, what's even happening here in the story? And 
kind of backtracking a little bit here in Luke chapter 1, the gospel opens up in Luke chapter 1 and begins to tell us that there's this man by the name of Zechariah and he has a wife, Elizabeth. And Zechariah is a priest and they're very godly people, but do they have any children? Do you remember? No, no children. And, and listen, they've been, not only could they not have children, now they've grown seemingly too old. It sounds a lot like Abraham and who? Sarah, right? It kind of sounds like you're, you're picking that story up again. And so as we look at this, Zechariah goes in the temple, and his, it's his time, right? His name is says drawn by lot. He goes in to offer the incense and, and do that there in the beginning of Luke chapter 1. And he has this great vision. And, and do you remember who showed up to him? What was the angel's name? You only got two by name in the scriptures, right? There's Michael, and the other one is who? Gabriel, right? So Gabe shows up, and he shows and tells him the good news that even though you're old, you're going to have a son, and his son's name is going to be who? John the Baptist, right? J.B., as you know him, right? J.B., you're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. J.B., that's what you're going to call him. And so listen, he says, this great moment comes about. Finally, the son is born, right? John is born. And uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Zechariah, who got his tongue tied, right? He couldn't speak because he didn't really believe that God was faithful to do what he would say he was going to do. And he can finally begin to speak. And when he does, this is what pours out. And it begins there in the text, verse 67 of Luke chapter 1. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And that's cluing you and I to end to saying, listen, if someone's filled with the Spirit and now they're making a prophecy, you and I ought to tune our ears up and say, this is pretty important. And watch what he does here as the text unfolds. Beginning in verse 68. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And you say, well, why is he blessing the name of the Lord? What is he going to say about it? Why is God good? Why is there a God that is deserving of our blessing, of our praising, of our saying, listen, God, you are awesome and amazing. I am here to worship you and to glorify your name with my own my lips, but my life. And then this key word, right again, these are just things as you read daily, I want you to begin to walk away as we walk through the text week by week to say, you know what? I can do that. I can spend time with God on my own. And God, I know by the power of the Holy Spirit, First John tells us, He is going to guide me in the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't need community. I need community to help me say, am I missing something? Am I not seeing it, reading it correctly? But just key things. Watch this. Everything hinges upon this central word right here that's going to happen. So he says, Blessed be the God, the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, for... And the rest of what Zechariah is going to tell you is the reason why he is praising God. He wants to show you all the things that God has done for us, that God is doing in us, and that God is doing through us. And this is begetting or, or birthing his desire to praise God and bless his name. So look what he says, beginning in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed. All right, that word redemption is key here, his people knowing that it says he has raised up a horn of salvation all right the horn literally looking back to the ram's horn it was used in, in the midst of combat right when animals would war against each other that horn was really powerful that's what they would use to attack one another and so this ram's horn is a sign of power it says listen i want you to know there's a powerful salvation coming there's a once and for all salvation that is coming for us it's in the house of his servant david that's what you were singing the rod of jesse just a few minutes ago Jesse is the name of David's father. This was the prophecy, the promise that one would come from his line. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Brother Corey's alluding to that again, talking about that earlier. How the words of the prophets were there. That we should be, he says, saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 
Well, it's an amazing thing that God is, is, is speaking the truth here, right? The Holy Spirit is speaking through, the, through uh, Zechariah as he prophesies. It's an amazing thing that he's pouring out. And so some things I want to kind of maybe bring to our attention. Um, one, again, is the question, why 400 years? Right? Like, why now? And listen, we don't have a lot of clarity on that. No more than you and I get a lot of clarity in our lives. Like, why is this happening to us now? Like, why? what's God doing? Why are we experiencing this? We had this little snippet in the midst of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where Paul says this simple statement. When the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That's it. And all we have to know is why 400 years, why this long awaiting, why looking all the way back to Abraham and this promise to him in Genesis chapter 12, why God, and why are you waiting, God, what are you doing? And all we know from Paul is, Paul says simply to us, guys, God decided the time had fully come. God knew the best moment, the greatest moment, the exact moment. That's not you and I's decision to make. We can't make that happen. We can't force God to do that. But God did it. When the time had fully come, Galatians 4 and 4. God sent forth his son. So he says, listen, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited, right? He has, that word visited, again, this, this language that's being used here, this is looking back to the Exodus, okay? So if you read the book of Exodus, a lot of the familiar language and terms that he's using point to the people in the midst of bondage and slavery for 400 years. Kind of interesting, right? They're in 400 years in Egypt, 400 years of silence, and now God shows up. He has visited, literally God's cared for. That means that God sees his people. It may not always feel that way. That's why we've got to walk by faith and not by what? Not by sight. Because you look around, sometimes it doesn't feel like that in your circumstances. God, where are you? What are you doing? But he has visited and he has redeemed. Literally, God has brought you and I back. He has bought us back out of slavery. And the slavery here is something greater than even Egyptian slavery and bondage. The slavery that he has redeemed us from is the slavery to sin. He has redeemed you and I from the wickedness of our own hearts and set us free. He has transformed us from the inside out. He says, listen, I want you to know that God has redeemed his people. And you might be wondering, well, how did he do that? Well, he simply says that he has raised up a horn of salvation looking to the cross. And I was looking at the cross and it's, it's gone for a few moments. We've got the manger in its place. Um, but the reminder is, is that God redeemed his people by sending his own son who was born of a virgin. Why was he born of a virgin? Well, because that was the only way to be born without a sin nature, right? He was born that way. Why? Because he is God, right? That's how God, that, that's just who he is. He was sinless, right? He was born. He had to be born of a virgin. Why? Because it was God being born. And not only was he born sinless, he lived a sinless life. Hebrews says to you and I that he was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without what? He was without sin. Can you imagine that? Living your whole life and never sinning. The good news is the gospel says that if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, God would look at you as if you lived your life without sin. Because on the cross, Jesus paid not for his own sin because he's sinless. He pays not for his own, but for your sin and my sin. He pays in full. He declares from the cross, it is what? Do you remember? It's finished. He's saying, listen, the wrath of God, God's judgment of your and my sin. He said, I stood in your place. I experienced God's judgment and wrath for you. That you could stand before God and have peace. How? Romans 5 and 1 says we've been justified by faith. 
by putting our faith and trust that God would be satisfied with His own Son, through trusting that He alone is our Lord and Savior, by demonstrating not only by His sinless life, not only demonstrated by His faithful death, but by the power of His glory, His resurrection and ascension back to the Father in heaven, where He now is awaiting His return. This redemption is rich. This redemption is full. Now remember, as Zechariah speaks, he speaks on the front end of this. He doesn't quite know. He's not quite aware exactly how God's going to bring this all about. You and I sit looking back into history and seeing this great life of Christ. But again, this redemption, this salvation, look what he says here. Back in Exodus chapter 6, again, remember the people have been in bondage for about 400 years. And God has shown up and appeared to the man by the name of Mo. What, do you remember? Moses, right? Exodus chapter 3, this great burning bush moment. He says, listen, I'm going to deliver my people. And he says to him further, verse 6 of Exodus chapter 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. So again, we have this term, deliver, right? And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with a great act of judgment, and I will take you, he says, to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. What's amazing about it is, is that God's redemption of you and I, again, it, it, it connects it back to what happened in the book of Exodus. These people had no way, no hope, right? How do you get out from under the oppression of a massive army when you have no weapons of your own? When you are beat and, and ruled over as slaves. And God says, listen, I want you to know this redemption is personal. Look at this right here, just a couple things. He says, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take you. Look what he calls them. He calls you my people. He says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to know that I'm the God. I'm, going to, I'm the one that's going to bring you out. He says, listen, this redemption is personal, guys. It's personal. I mean, Exodus chapter 15, when they stand on the other side, right? Exodus 14, the Exodus is finally made. The waters come back over as the Egyptian army chases the Israelites into the sea. The, the water comes over, it covers them. Exodus 15, they're standing on the other shore. They're looking back. The Egyptian army has been wiped out. They're looking back toward the shore, the other side, back toward Egypt, and saying, God has delivered us out. And this great anthem of praise bursts forth in Exodus 15. And he says, listen, Lord, you have led us in your steadfast love, the people whom you have, look what he says again, redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And man, would we not say that God's redemption of us is indeed his faithfulness, that he is going to indeed guide us to his holy abode to dwell with him for all eternity? This redemption that he has brought you out is not simply to bring you to another physical land here on earth, the Canaan promised land. God has sent his son to redeem you that you could live with him eternally in that Beulah land, so to speak, right? I mean, this eternal dwelling with God and with men. And he says, listen, this redemption that Jesus has brought about, no one else could do that. So he's saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. That's why he starts it with how he does. Zechariah there in Luke chapter 1. Now look further, though. Look at the text. He says, listen, um, beginning in verse 7, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. He says, listen, guys, you want to know why I'm blessing the Lord? Because you know what? You know what God spoke through the prophets? He's brought it about. Like, God, you're faithful to your word. Now, it's been hundreds of years, some cases a thousand plus. But, God, you're faithful. And, God, you're faithful, what? To save us from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy, he says, this was based on your promise to our fathers, looking back toward Genesis 12, again, Abraham, to this holy covenant that you had 
The oath that he swore, it's an oath, God, that you swore to our father Abraham to grant us. And listen, again, if you were with us last week in Isaiah chapter 6, and as we walked into chapter 8, these people didn't deserve it, guys. He says, listen, they were trying to communicate with the dead. They were going all their own ways. You were living. You said you've intentionally thrust aside the word of God, said, I don't, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. This has been the history of the people of Israel, and yet light came to them. And the question we have to ask in this moment, well, why does Zechariah believe that God's done this? And look what he says. It's, it's really simple here. Verse 72. He's going to show something. Look what he says he's going to show. What's he going to show? Mercy. mercy. He's going to show the mercy that was promised. Not because you and I have ever cleaned up our life good enough. You are not ever going to be good enough to be saved. Do you understand that? God came for you and I in the midst of our sins, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be your sin and my sin. That in Jesus we could become the righteousness of God. Listen to this beautiful moment right here. This moment of showing mercy, right? Now, grace has given you something that you don't deserve. You haven't earned, right? Grace, the gift of salvation. But mercy is withholding something that you do deserve. I'll never forget this moment. I searched for a 1990s something push lawnmower. It looks close to what we had. Um, I remember one, one day I was up and uh, working for my parents, their business, and I was, um, my responsibility was, was mowing. I was late high school, and I thought about that earlier this morning. I thought, man, that's almost been 20 years. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but as I thought about that, I remembered a, a day, again, thinking about this word mercy, that my parents had this little curb, like, underneath the sign, and, like, you would mow this little bitty snippet, and then, like, the sidewalk was there, and then, like, there was this, this curb, and it, it was probably about that high or so, and I was in a big hurry that day. I just wanted to get the yard, get the place mowed, get it back on the trailer, jump on the next spot where I need to go mow at, whatever, right? And so, to do that, I thought the wise thing would be is never to disengage the blade, right? So, just keep the thing held down, keep the blade running, and so, I, I put it up right over this, this curb, it's about this high, and then this moment happens that Newton's law of gravity that states that everything that goes up must what? Come down. And that's what the coming down got me, right? And I'll never forget, I, I, it was great, and I put it up, and I was going to put it the front wheels in the grass and just take off mowing. And, man, that thing came down that curb, and those blades hit, and it was like a gun went off. Boom, 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 right? And it jerked. And I was like, okay, that's all right, that's all right. And I went to pull that crank, man, and that baby was so bound up in there, it wasn't even turning. I mean, you could barely even move it. And I sit there and ponder for a moment. Maybe you've been there, right, with your dad or your mom or your grandparent when you did something really stupid. And you thought, how do I cover this up, right? And so I thought, man, there's no way to cover this one up. Um, I did wreck his mower once and praying it, put, his spray, put spray paint over the spot that I did. So love you, Dad. I don't know. We'll explain that when I get there. I lied when he asked me about it. But anyway, um, so anyway, I was trying to think of another way I could cover something up, right? Um, and so I finally realized i got to walk in there. So I walk into his office, and I said, Dad. He said, yeah. I said, um, I was out there mowing, and I tried to take it over the curb, and it didn't work out very good, and the blaze got kind of bound up. And there's this moment of silence, right? Like, this is going to be bad, right? I'm going to pay up for it. Um, I'm going to be grounded. Uh, I was driving by that point, so I figured I'd probably lose my car for a while. Um, how stupid, right? How could you be that stupid? <clears throat> and I'll never forget my dad out. He looked across the desk at me, and um, he said, son, you know what we're going to do? I've got several ideas. 
He said, we're going to take it down there to the lawnmower shop and either they'll straighten it out or we'll buy new blades. And it was a moment of mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. And I can't tell you as a father now how many times that memory pops in my head when my boys do something stupid. Right? And River, I often ask, River, do you want the punishment or do you want mercy? And what do you normally say you want? Mercy. I don't know about you, but when God looks at me, do you want judgment, what you deserve, or do you want mercy? I want mercy. And he says, if you want mercy, it is only through the name of Jesus. So you may have messed the lawnmower up is what I'm telling you today. I want you to know there's a God who loves you, who is willing to forgive you and not give you what you deserve. And that is eternity in a place the Bible calls hell, separated from this loving God forever. But God in His love sent His Son for you and mine, our stupidity, in our lawnmower moments. And the mercy and the grace of God will be extended to us. So God is doing a great work for us, brothers and sisters. But not only is He doing a great work for us, Zechariah is also going to tell us that God is doing a great work in us. God is doing a great work in us. Look what he says here. Back to the text. Verse 73 of Luke chapter 1. He says again, this oath that he swore to our fathers, Abraham, to grant us. So he's just told all of this stuff um, that God's doing for us. And then look at this moment. Just a little snippet. That way. He says, listen, I want you to know everything that God has just done for you guys, right? All the, all the promise to the fathers, this, the prophets of the Old Testament, that God has redeemed you, that God has visited you. You didn't earn or deserve it. It was just based on God's mercy and His great kindness and His grace and His love to you and I. And you say, well, well great, so where does that lead me? And that's where he says, verse 74, 74, that we. Look what he says here. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might do what? We might serve him. Just listen. This is, this is about you not just simply being saved. That You can say, oh, Lord, thank you that I'm saved. He says, listen, there's a response of a life. There's a response of your life in regards to what he has done for you. And he says, listen, I want you to serve him. I want you to continually serve the Lord God without fear. You know, Zechariah is looking forward to the day when the enemies, right? At that time, Rome was ruling. He's looking forward to the day when, listen, the world dictators and all the ruling powers, they don't rule over us. That we can serve the Lord without fear. And we know that throughout the New Testament, listen, that day has not yet come. That fulfillment is still future, but still, even in the midst of that, there is a moment of peace. Why? Because we ultimately have no fear. When we stand before God, if we know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Right? That's what Jesus said. He says, listen, guys. He said, I know the tendency in this world is to fear the one that can destroy the body. The one that can bring judgment, that can throw you off your job, who can, he can cast you out. I mean, they can, they can do whatever. They can punish you. They can throw you in jail. He said, I know the tendency is to fear him, to fear the, that, that world, that system. But he says, listen, I don't want you to fear the one that can destroy the body. But instead, I want you to fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, listen, I want you to know that because of what Jesus has done, you and I now have peace with God through Christ. And we can serve him without fear. And you say, well, how does that serving look? Right? Look what he says here. Very interesting statement. Verse 75. Again, in. Right? He's telling you, well, how should that serving look? In. Look what he says here. These two things. Holiness. Holiness. And righteousness. 
Now, throughout the New Testament, um, that, that, those two phrases aren't really coined together a whole lot, right? So used just like this. So I wondered, all right, so where else in the New Testament they use this phrase that might help give some, some light to what's it mean to serve God in holiness and righteousness? Paul uses it in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says to them again in verse 23 to the church there at Ephesus, he says, and to be renewed in the what? The spirit of your minds. Look at what else he says. This is very, very interesting. And to put on the what? Come on. Call and response. And to put on the what? The new self. He says, well, what does my new self look like? What does it mean that my mind is to be renewed? What is that? What is God trying to tell me to do? Look what he says. You've been created after the likeness of someone. And who is that person? Of God. He says, I want you to know about your true identity. Not maybe how you feel today or how you even think about yourself. He says, I want you to know that you have a real identity that you need to be aware of. And I want you to know that it's only renewed through the spirit of your mind that you have a new self. And that new self is not like your old self. The new self is created to be like someone. And that someone is God. And then look what he says here. In, look at these words, righteousness and holiness. Righteousness, holiness. Right again, just back there. In Similar thing. Paul's saying the similar thing. So what's he pointing out to us? And then watch this, this key word right here. So you think, well, what's it look like? How do I live a new life? What kind of life is God expecting me to live if I have been renewed, redeemed by Jesus? What is this new self? What does the likeness of God look like? He gets really practical. He says, therefore. Right? So this is telling you here's what the response should look like. He says, put away falsehood. Speak the truth with your neighbor. So speak the truth. If you want to serve the Lord... In holiness and righteousness, speak the truth. Furthermore, he tells us in verse 26, he says, don't let the sun go down on your what? On your anger. He says, listen, there ought to be a self-control to the life of the believer that anger does not just take its way with us. And then he says in verse 28, guess what else you and I are to do as we serve in holiness and righteousness to the Lord? He says that you and I are to work faithfully. We are to be good laborers in your, your job, your everyday life. Why? He says, so you can share with those that are in need. He continues on. He says in verse 29, he says, listen, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for building others, what? Up, that it may give grace to those who hear. See, listen, he says, not only are you supposed to speak the truth, you're supposed to speak kind words, gentle words. And then he comes to verse 32, and he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. So you get a glimpse in this moment of what it looks like to live a life of true righteousness and holiness, how to serve God. It's by speaking the truth, by controlling our anger, right? Letting the Holy Spirit control our anger. It's um, speaking words of kindness. It's being faithful on your job. It's looking for the way that God's blessed you financially that you can give to be a part of his kingdom, to share his love and, and to help meet physical needs of others. It's speaking words that build people up. It's forgiving people that have harmed you. He says, listen, this is the life that God has come to bring redemption to you and I. And I want you to know this life is real and legit. Brother Todd and I had a moment to sit down with some folks this morning. They were talking about the fact that since their life has been transformed by Christ, by repenting and confessing Christ, that their life has been changed from the inside out. Not only have each other known it, but people on their jobs have known it. I want you to know this is not simply just like knowledge of salvation. We'll get to it in just a minute, just that you know stuff. This is a transformation that happens in your heart. This is your life that's being transformed before God. 
This, this was beautiful. I just want to call your attention to it. As I thought about this, this spirit of your minds of being made new and all that, I thought, wow, God, I would love to be more like that as a, as a person, as a father, as a husband, for my children. God, that's that for our church. Look at this little, this just kind of stood out to me this week. Verse 67, remember we began with this verse, and it said, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with what? With the Holy Spirit. This was interesting. You rewind the text a little bit, back to verse 41. Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist's mother, it says, And Elizabeth was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. You rewind the text back a little bit further, verse 15, the prophecy, even before John is born, according to the words of the angel, says this, And he, speaking of John the Baptist, will be filled with what? Can you imagine that the end of your days come and they say about you and your spouse and your children that they are filled with the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine what they might say about Greensburg Baptist if they say the people there are filled with the Holy Spirit? And that begins with you. It begins with me. Getting right with the Lord. And he says, listen, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I started to think, wow, God. To be spirit-filled parents, to be spirit-filled with our children. God, is there anything maybe in the text right here we might be able to just pull out just to say, God, what might give me some, some, some insight? Now, listen, we all recognize this is a work of mercy and grace. You're going to see that as, as Zechariah finishes his words. But I want you to see maybe just some practicality from their life. Verse 5, as we rewind the text a little bit here in Luke chapter 1, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So there's our guy, Zechariah. It says he has a wife. Her name's Elizabeth. And then it says this statement here. They're both what? They're both righteous before God. It says they're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Wow. That doesn't mean they deserve to earn the work of God. No, no, because Zechariah is going to tell you he does not earn or deserve it. He doesn't. But man, if we desire to live spirit-filled lives, there's a call for holy living. There's a call for obedience to the Word of God. To live our best in the power of the Spirit. To live in obedience to what God's Word says to you and I. It's not simply professing it with our lips. It's walking it out with our lives. And that's what's happening here in this Spirit-filled family. It's a beautiful moment. And so I thought, man, well, this God at work for us and God's at work in us. But I want you to see as Zechariah closes out his time of just blessing the name of the Lord. There's a work through us. Look at this. And you, he now gets to his child. Isn't that a moment of humility? His child that he and his wife have prayed and waited and waited and waited for. That he doesn't begin with his child. Instead, he begins with Jesus. I thought, what a word to us and me as a parent. Do I ever elevate my child above Jesus? And what I think would be best for their life and their kingdom. Do I plan our daily lives and our weekly lives in a way that it's all about this kingdom and this world of getting them in the right position, helping them succeed in this and this and this and this, and thinking whenever I have time for God and His precious Word with my children, that's when I'll get to it? Man, there's some conviction that happened in my life. I don't know if it's with you, but, it, man, with me, of God, how am I ordering my steps? What am I, what am I pointing my kids to as the most important kingdom? And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. So again, I want you to see first here, he has, he has a, a ministry, right? He's a prophet, okay? But it says he's going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, you and I are not John the Baptist. Right? He has a unique role unlike any other, right? This is the second coming of Elijah, he'll say later. Right? This, he was the Elijah that is to come. So I'm not at all saying that we are John the Baptist in no way. 
However, as John went before the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I, in a sense, are also going before him. Why? But not before his first coming, but his what? Second coming. You and I are going before, telling people, and so you'd say, well, that's our ministry, so what might be our message? Well, he says, listen, our message looks a lot like John's. what he says here. We are to give knowledge of salvation to his people. All right, and what is the knowledge of salvation? It's in the forgiveness of their what? Of their sins. It's not simply knowing about salvation, it's experience it. Look, in Luke chapter 24, again, Luke 1 begins with John the Baptist. Jesus' life has come, his death, burial, resurrection, and he's preparing to ascend back to the Father. And you and I step in and says, listen, we've got a similar ministry and a similar message to that of John. Listen, what ours is? Verse 47 of Luke 24. And that he says, repentance for, right? So what does repentance affect? The forgiveness of what? Of sins. He says, listen, this should be proclaimed, guys. It's got to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That was what John's call. His call was to, to give knowledge to his people. He was specifically to the Israelites, telling them, get ready, Jesus is coming. I don't know any way to describe this. But listen, guys, the knowledge of salvation is not simply knowing enough stuff about the Bible. It's good, absolutely, to know God's Word. But I want to encourage you that you need intimate time alone with the Lord, just you and Him. I cannot tell you, I cannot overemphasize the transformation that has happened in my life in that renewing that new person and becoming more like Jesus than having alone time with Him in the mornings. And in the mornings there, there's that knowledge of salvation. There's the forgiveness of sins. And there's a reminder, guys, I still need to repent. Do you? Like, I need ongoing repentance. Right? I need to continue to live a life of repentance. And God's Word, as I read it morning by morning, it just strikes me. This week I was in the book of Daniel, and I think it's verse 20 of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel does something I think is amazing because we think often with Daniel, he's this perfect dude. And Daniel does something that was just encouraging to me. He comes to the Lord, and guess what? It says that he confessed his own sins and the sins of the people. Often we think about Daniel, he's always thinking about everybody else. Daniel acknowledges he has his own sins. And the only way that happens, guys, is you and I spending time with the Word of God and the Spirit saying to you and to me, Blake, you don't reflect that. But you know what? I love you. My son died for your disobedience, your rebellion your refusal to spend time with me and spending more time on the internet just looking at Kentucky basketball or whatever than you spent with me today. Blake, I, I love you. I'm not giving up on you. And the Spirit of God is just in those moments of bringing me to repentance. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Would you change me? So there's a ministry that John had. Yes, there's a message that he had and that we had, but also there's a movement. What empowered John to move? Well, verse 15 says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit of Luke chapter 1. What might empower you and I to move? Well, here in Luke 24, we don't have on the screen, but if we follow the text a little bit further, Jesus says, listen, guys, you're not going to do this on your own. This ministry that you have, this message that you're taking to the nations, you're not doing it on your own. He says, you're going to be, get the promise of my Father. He says, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. If you were with us last week, we walked through the text just briefly, but there in verse 49, he says, you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, just like John had the power of the Spirit. You're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about what I'm calling you to do. And then finally, you might wonder, well, what's going to bring about responses? And in John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, 
He will bring conviction. He will. Not you will. He will. How? Through the Word of God. He'll bring conviction, it says, in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. In regards to sin, because men and women, boys and girls, do not believe in me. And the Holy Spirit, as you share in the power of the Spirit, the truth of God's work, the Spirit does the work. It's the Spirit doing the powerment, guys. It's the Spirit opening the eyes. That's what he says here, Zechariah, as we close this today. He says, listen, because of the tender mercy, verse 78, of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And look what he says here. To give light to those who what? Sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Now, again, the imagery he's drawing from is Isaiah 8. And what's he saying? He's saying these people have intentionally rejected God. They haven't earned it. He says, listen, God is giving light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of doubt of death. And that's a reminder to you and I, you have not done something too bad today to blow it. Where you've been, what you've done, what you've looked at, who you've been with, what you've said. I want you to know that even though today you may sit in darkness, there is light coming. And that light, according to Zechariah, is indeed Jesus Christ. It's the goodness of the gospel. It's come to give light. And look what he says here, as you and I think. Again, this is just a very practical moment as we close. He says, not only to give light, but it's to guide our feet into the way of peace. Did you notice the transition that he used? And this is beautiful, and I think it's important. I want us to close with it. He said, we need to give light to those who sit in, in, the, in darkness and the shadow of death to guide what? Our feet in the way of peace. Zachariah just did something absolutely crucial to you and I if we're going to take the gospel to this community and to the nations. We must never forget that we are like the people we are going to. The nations don't need the American way. They don't need more of our stuff. They need the same thing that you and I need. They need Jesus Christ. They need the hope of salvation. They need to be born again. That is the truth that they need we may do other things when we go to the nations, absolutely. But our central message, our reason for coming, our reason of serving in that way, of whatever we're doing, is to show them and to point them that, listen, we're no better than you. We've walked in darkness just like you have. And the only hope for me is the only hope for you. And that is found in God's only Son, Jesus Christ. That's the hope. And so Zachariah says, listen, guys, God came not only to give light to those people, Let's be careful as a church. We start thinking about those people out there. Zechariah reminds us we are those people. And we too need the light. God came for you today. He came for me and he came for them. Let's as a church, as faithful followers of Christ, go share this good news. Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Jesus Father, I am sure there are those here today that do not have a relationship with you. They have not experienced the peace of God that comes only through the name of Jesus. So, Lord, I do pray that you, would, you, through the preaching and teaching of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have brought conviction that they stand separated from you in their sin. God, show them that nothing else will be good enough other than your Son and his death in their place. God, I pray that even now it begins to get a, a moment of joy in their hearts. For those that are in Christ, I pray there's a moment of just true joy, inner peace.
because of Jesus. Father, I ask that as followers of you, those that have already confessed your name as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that not only what you have done for us, will now it will empower what you want to do in and through us. Lord God, our, our lives are a response to you. Our service is a response to what you have done. Never because we want you to, we're trying to earn it, God. But always in response to what you've done. Father, may you do a work in the lives of these people, God, that will bring about your desired end of taking the good news to all people, all nations, all tribes, all colors, all languages. God, would you, in the power of even this this moment, God, I pray you would give boys and girls here a desire to leave Greensburg KY and take the gospel to the nation. Even as fearful as a parent, I don't. I, I want to keep them close, but Lord, I pray by the power of your Spirit that they would realize that this truth is so great, this hope is so great, that they cannot remain where they are if you have called them to go somewhere else. If you've called them here, then by all means, Lord, may they be faithful here. But Father, I pray you would raise up boys and girls from this place and send them to the nations. I pray as moms and dads we would live that example, not simply telling them, but Lord, we would lead it. So God, give us courage and boldness as parents to live the gospel here and wherever you call us to go. Father, I pray for the aged among us, the revered, the godly saints that have lived faithful among us. God, I pray, I praise you for their lives, for their faithfulness that reminds me that if you've been faithful to keep them, you'll be faithful to keep a scoundrel like me. Thank you, Father, for the aged among us and their love for you and their love for people like me. Thank you for their kindness words towards me. Thank you for the hugs from some of our senior adult men and women. We thank you for their lives. Bless them, God. And I pray, Lord, that if you want to send them, Lord, God, as a reminder, nobody's too old. Zachariah and Elizabeth weren't too old. Abraham, Sarah, God, send them. Send them wherever you want them. God, use them this week in a mighty way. Let them know their lives are not over. Strengthen their phone conversations to be full of prayer and love. And let them share the good news with people they call, they talk to. Or God, they may even be on Facebook. Lord, use them on Facebook, God. Wherever you want them, God, let them know their lives are not over. Strengthen our senior adults. Strengthen us in the, the middle age. God, strengthen our children, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord God, people are dying apart from you. So I beg it of you, Lord, accomplish your purpose in our lives. And God, I thank you that no prayer is good enough. Nothing we could ever do is sufficient. It's only by your mercy and grace. So, Lord God, we birth everything we do here. God, I pray we will in your mercy and grace alone. Thank you, Lord. Send the light. And as Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. Send me. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Man, I would love to pray.